Welcome to Recalculating, Adventist Life Now. Today, uh, the conversation centers around building community in a divided world. I'm talking with Dr. Willie Hux, Associate Professor at Andrews University. Welcome, Willie. Glad you're with us. My pleasure to be with you today. Willie is uh, Dr. Hux, a faculty member at the uh, Theological Seminary, Andrews University, uh, in the Department of uh, Practical Theology, and I'm probably in air and not giving that the exact reference point, but he, uh, he is a respected member of the university faculty, serving a department as chair, and just contributing to faith and belief in that capacity. Uh, Dr. Hux, would you share with us in this conversation now just a overview of your spiritual and vocational journey? Uh, again, thank you so much for having me as a part of this conversation. I grew up in a Christian home and I went to church with regularity every weekend in the middle of the week, a very small church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I fell in love with the God of my parents, although he wasn't necessarily my God in the beginning. But for some reason, even as early as age eight, I knew I wanted to give my life, uh, to, not just to the Lord, but to him to use me in ministry. And it was probably around age eight when our pastor came on a Wednesday night to our church. And I remember my mother asking him the question, so why don't you come to our church as much as you come to your other church? He had two churches. And he said something that just stuck with me. He said, my voice is too big in this little cracker box. It was a very oh small church <laughs> building. And I remember saying to myself, if I ever become a pastor, I'll never treat one of my churches the way that he's treating this church. And the rest, as they say, is history. I did eventually go on to study for the ministry. And I spent the first 14 years of my ministry in district pastoral ministry. Since then, I have spent uh, more than 10 years in publishing as an editor for one of our ministerial journals. And I've spent more than 10 years now as a university professor on either the undergraduate level or the graduate level. And of course, of course, that's what I'm doing right now here at Andrews University. So Willie, you have a context of pastoral church um, writing and uh, editorial work and uh, university faculty, a, a kind of a neatly diversified vocational career. Yes, and, and doing so has taught me quite a bit about people. Mm -hmm. uh, not only growing up in my home was I exposed to social issues but pastoring in large cities, of course, I was also exposed to the needs of people, the real life experience of people, which I still to this day 
believe is experienced on the pastoral level more than any other level. And I just gained a whole new worldview as a result of my experiences as a district pastor. I gained a sensitivity to cultures and it encouraged me to explore the interrelationship, the interplay of theology and culture, Mm -hmm. uh, the interplay of church and culture so much so until a lot of my studies, especially on the doctoral level, have focused on the relationship that the church should have with society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about building community in a divided world, your life, uh, you are um, an African-American who has served in ministry teams and ministry contexts with people not only from the diversity of culture here in North America, uh, but uh, in your work uh, for the ministry uh, journal, uh, people from a global context, you you earned your PhD in a uh, you, I think no. I think it's a doctor of ministry. Doc, you doctor hold from, of ministry from Andrews, yes. and and that is a context that involves people from various places of the world. So it's kind of been in your heart as well as in your vocational experience. Uh, very very much so. And what I've discovered as a result of my travels, since you speak of my time with Ministry Magazine. What I've discovered is in our North American context, we always want to sort of pigeonhole this uh, as a race issue, but worldwide, the, the relationship of the church and society speaks to culture and the impact of culture on one's existence and the church. In many respects, while we differ in so many ways, I discover the same issues exist worldwide. And Mm -hmm. it's not even so much race related, it's culture related. Hence, my question, how does the church relate to the society, the culture in which that local church uh, exists? Uh, Very, very telling, very, very telling. Yes. Uh, I, um, I think we can launch forward in a conversation uh, in, in this area of reflection from a paragraph that stood out to me uh, in something I uh, read of your work in the Journal of Adventist Mission, I think it is. We always, yes. uh, I've always called it jams. <laughs> and, and you wrote regarding Uh, the intentionality of the ministry of Jesus. Now he had to go through Samaria. And you pointed out in a way that just hit me. I hadn't thought of it that way. You pointed out that the Jewish person normally progressed in in a different direction to avoid uh, the Samaritan culture. But the scripture... Uh, John, in writing about it later, said 
he had to go through Samaria. And I chuckled to myself, ah, you know, Jesus kind of had to in order to, in his life, describe what it means to build diverse, build community in diverse cultures. Talk to us about that intentionality that stood out there. He had to go through Samaria. Well, I, I think of this question, why did John say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? I think of it from two perspectives. I think of it in the broader sense of leadership, church leadership, uh, pastoral leadership, and I think of it within my own context, my own personal context. The, the, the common denominator is we all have biases. We all have prejudices. They're blind spots that we don't always necessarily think exist, but they do. Uh, a couple of cases in point. For the disciples, they felt that their life, their existence was normal, expected, the way that it should be. We are who we are, they are who they are. But Jesus had to go through Samaria in order to expose them to two things. One, how others live, and two, how you yourself don't see them the way that I, Jesus, sees them. Mm -hmm. That's the first point. The second point from my own personal perspective, I like to think that I'm very accepting of all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, mm -hmm. how, however we classify people. But about three months ago, I was having a conversation with a dear friend of mine, a female friend of mine, and she was sharing some things theologically with me and, and addressing how the theology impacts her as a woman. And as much as I thought I recognized the plight of women in general, women in ministry in particular, she left me with my mouth agape, as it were, mm -hmm. saying to myself, I never recognized that. In that particular moment, I had to go through my own Samaria not because of some looming bias or prejudice, but because I had a blind spot. The disciples had a blind spot. They thought they understood how life should be lived. But in our existence as pastors, as Christians, we have to go through Samaria in order to understand that life is bigger than what we think it is. So, Dr. Hux, you're... Um, you're helping us understand that every one of us uh, inevitably have a certain bias. Absolutely. And it comes from uh, the place, uh, the family context, uh, the culture we have experienced, uh, how life has interacted with us. We is kind of the first step in building community to acknowledge we have a bias? I would put it exactly as you just did. Let's acknowledge that we have biases 
And let's also recognize that once we are exposed to the other, if I can use that phrase, however we define the other, the person who is not us, mm -hmm. uh, we then recognize that I can learn something from the other. If I approach the relationship with a humble, teachable spirit asking, what can I gain from you? What can I learn from you? Then that helps me in my growth process and it paves the way if perhaps there's something that they can gain from the relationship with me. We're, we're, we're tearing down walls um, and we're creating that foundation where we can truly build community in a world that is too often divided when it doesn't need to be divided. So you're, you're moving then forward. You're saying, first of all, acknowledge we have a bias. We are of a particular culture. We are of a particular gender or economic or educational background or racial context or of uh, faith and worship tradition. Then you're saying, all right, recognizing that bias, we must listen to people different than us. How, how, does, that, how does that integrate with uh, the cultural message that we sometimes get that the other presents a risk to us, the other faith, the other economic group or the other political group or the other race, the other culture, that idea of risk. I know I'm getting, I'm kind of going afield a bit here to think about what keeps us from listening. Any thoughts on that, Willie? If, if I'm understanding your question correctly, and, 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 and if I'm not, you know, help me to come back to where I need to go. One, one of the dangers that we face is allowing others to, to define for us how we should perceive the next person. The political pundits mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the talking heads of media do it. Uh, so often in that process, as we're listening to others, uh, we're, we're failing to define for ourselves how we should see and hear uh, uh -huh. the next person. So uh, in, in my thinking, as I talk to someone who is not of my faith uh, belief system or of my cultural setting, or my race, or my gender, when I have a conversation with them, it actually enhances me because being secure in who I am and knowing who I am gives me a foundation for hearing your side of a story, uh, seeing your perspective and it, it allows me to just grow and, and, and become better, a, a better person. Mm -hmm. oh, that's helpful. 
uh, a sense of security allows us to listen. And that is um, insightful. We, we, uh, we have a political polarization in our society here in America, and I recognize that some joining our conversation today may not be as familiar with that context in the United States as as we are, but you, whomever you are, wherever you recognize people can polarize around such things. And we tend to see those not of our particular grouping uh, in such a way that we can't, we can't really hear them or listen to them authentically. We bring our preconceived assumptions uh, with us, don't we? We do. We certainly do. Yeah, I, uh, I think of uh, the tendency we have to identify people, people's personality and characteristics. We'll refer to one gender as such and such, the other gender as more such and such, or people from one area of the world more one way than another. Yeah, and it pre prevents us from hearing. Well... Uh, if, if, if I may add, mm -hmm. uh, I, I recently gave a talk that was based on uh, the Jesse, the Samuel Jesse David account in First Samuel chapter sixteen, and I focused on the descriptors that were used of David. Uh, why did the writer? of 1 Samuel take the time to describe David mm. as opposed to his brothers. Now, the fact is, he was very, the writer of Samuel was very complimentary. I still struggle with that in my presentation because why do we have to look at the other and use descriptors? Uh, often in the process of using descriptors, we're separating, yeah. we're dividing uh, individuals uh, as opposed to focusing on the commonalities mm -hmm. or the similarities. It becomes easy to look at the other elements. And that's a part of the dividing that takes place and not the building of community. Now, the fact is, I'm black, mm -hmm. you're white. That's fine, that's recognizable, that's understandable, but we don't have to focus on that. That's recognizable. What brings us together? What builds the community? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, you have seen various ways uh, growing up uh, 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 in culture, uh, uh, a black American, in the African-American experience, culture has some really cool, I would say, interesting, you know, I used to love to uh, slip away from my worship context and enjoy the differing worship approach of people in my own faith tradition whose racial history was different than mine. They worship differently, and that's a contribution. So, but there are so many different ways, uh, language, uh, uh, foods, uh, various things. What are some of the ways you have seen us uh, 
And I think probably it comes from some painful personal experiences as well. Separate ourselves. Uh, how do we go about, uh, without really realizing it, distancing ourselves from people? I, when I read your article in Jams, it, it was just apparent. The, the Jewish folk took steps to avoid interaction with the Samaritans, and you were challenging us as Christians to recognize ways that we don't even think about, that we distance ourselves from other cultures. Any thoughts on that, Will? Okay. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that I understand specifically uh, what, what, you're, what, what you're asking. Could you help me out just a little bit more? Yeah, I'm just... I, I, and I'm not sure there's even a question in it. I'm just aware that when I go through my daily life, uh, when I buy groceries, I have a certain pattern of foods I buy and places I go. I drive by an Asian market and go to the uh, market that is familiar with my neighborhood and my culture. Uh, in choosing clothing in various ways, we, we isolate ourselves. Now, what really worries me, Willie, is that in the process of constructing faith, faith communities, we also tend to isolate ourselves. Um, and I think, I think if we could pause as persons from time to time and say, Listening to the other is more than scheduling once a month an intentional moment to sit down and listen to somebody different than us. It's also engaging in everyday life in ways that break down those barriers. Uh, you know, is, does that make any sense? How, you, you work with students in the classroom. Mm -hmm about uh, building a society that is respectful. And you, you, I'm, I'm sure there are ways you try to get them to understand how they're just preferring people like themselves. And, and certainly in a classroom setting, I can uh, attempt to create groups and encourage individuals to cross-pollinate, for lack of a better term. Here's mm -hmm. a topic uh, for example, in my church and social issues class, here's a topic I could easily encourage them, uh, meet with someone else that you don't know. It's so easy for us to, to come together in familiar groups. Meet, get along with somebody else, meet with someone else and become a part of a group that concerns a topic of interest to you, but that person is not like you. That person is the other. And work on that assignment together. That's one way that I could encourage people uh, to come together. Uh, I like to use also the illustration of a botanical garden. Uh, my wife and I like going to botanical gardens in other cities uh, that we've lived in. And you've got all different assortments of flowers, uh, shrubbery, whatnot. No one asks any particular flower to be a different kind of flower. Be what you are. But when you move about 
from the azaleas to the whatever the flowers might be, you recognize each one has its own beauty. So celebrate the beauty. Don't change the beauty. Celebrate the beauty and see that the entire garden, when it is put together, makes the garden beautiful as each part is is what it is. So I encourage people to spend time with someone who is not of you. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's where the learning and the growing comes about. Nothing, nothing original in what I just said there, but it takes intentionality yes. to encourage what we don't no- normally or naturally do. Uh, how do we get to that point? That becomes the, the huge challenge, it, but it does require intentionality. Yeah. It, it struck me in reflecting on that lesson in life that Jesus brought to the group of disciples that day that the Samaritan woman was invited to bring people of her village back and they exchanged and they talked. And there is a tremendous amount of respect that must have caught the disciples kind of off guard when Jesus said, all right, you folks go and in your village share this story. That was was like, I'm not going to interfere with your culture and teach you to sing the songs we sing or whatever. You you think of how the gospel impacts your life. Uh, And that struck me as I read your work in Jams. Um, You You seem to suggest that it is the will of God, the intentionality of God, that diversity exists. Uh, I would would agree with what you're saying. Uh, And and Jesus mandates uh, that that lasting community has to be established with those who are, are, are different from us. I I fear that often when we try to build bridges, when we try to create community, we can sometimes do it for the wrong reasons. I think to Luke chapter 10, in the beginning of that chapter, when Jesus appointed 70 to go out, they went out, and, and I just have to imagine that in the process, they encountered people who were not just quite like they were. For example, uh, they healed the sick. Well, sickness was seen as a curse from God. So they be- those who were sick became the other. And later on in Luke chapter 10, when they come back to Jesus, they say, look at what we did. You know, we cast out demons. We healed the sick. We did all of these different things. And it was as if they were establishing their own righteousness, the salvation Mm -hmm. uh, by works in doing so, so that Jesus had to gently admonish them by saying, don't celebrate everything that you did. You know, celebrate the relationships that you have established. Uh, Celebrate that your names are written in heaven as a result of uh, the community that you have been building in, in, in my name. So 
Uh, it, it is indeed, as you suggest, it, it's the will of God uh, to establish lasting community as evidence through uh, what we do in relationship with one another. Now, uh, moving that forward a bit, uh, you have described bigotry as extreme intolerance of any creed, belief, or opinion that differs from one's own. And you've described Jesus influence to be breaking down and moving us away from that bigotry. So I, I, I want to throw out a challenging statement and see what your authentic uh, reaction to it is, Willie. Um, we're Christians. Uh, you and I both are part of a quite conservative Christian body, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I recognize that not all participating today in this conversation share the exact same journey, of course. But you and I uh, know what we mean when we think of that conservative uh, Protestant faith body. Aren't we, uh, because of that faith, freer? from bigotry that's that's quite a an almost loaded question it is uh, right <laughs> there uh, sad to say we we are not uh, free from bigotry uh, in, any more than other denominations are free from bigotry we in many respects follow the unfortunate example that is seen in the gospel, uh, in, in the New Testament writings. Peter was a part of this John 4 experiment, uh, experience uh, that, that we have alluded to. Yet later on, he still struggles with the centurion uh, in Acts chapter 10, uh, Cornelius. Uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 2 admonishes Peter for being one way when he's with one group and another way when he's with yet another group. So this is a struggle uh, that, that, that we deal with in Christianity in general, in Adventism um, as, as well, Adventist Christianity as well, sad, sad to say. Uh, we, 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 we have our struggles as well. Now, it sounds like we're called to live with, live beside, socialize with, work with, eat, relate with people who are not of all our culture, not of our belief system. How, how do you keep your faith in that process? Uh, well, I, I, would, I would suggest that uh, as... I rub shoulders with those who are not of my faith affiliation, not Seventh-day Adventist. It's not a matter of needing to keep my faith. Uh, it's really a matter of how do I enhance uh, my faith? Mm -hmm. uh, because the implication behind that question, and, and I know that it was not intentional, but, but I could infer, mm -hmm. might be a better way of saying it, that if I am rubbing shoulders with others, then I somehow become polluted through the contact mm -hmm. with them. 
and if such is the case, uh, rubbing sh shoulders with someone who is not like me, uh, then Jesus would have been the filthiest person who ever lived. Ah. Uh, you know, because of his contact with the other. So I, I, my, my question would not be so much, how do I keep my faith? Uh, but how do I uh, enhance my faith? Uh, could, and and, and, and could. I enhance my faith by, as I touched on earlier, uh, entering into that relationship with a spirit that says, uh, what can I learn from you? You are my brother. You are my sister. You are created in the image of God, just like I am. Uh, you are the apple of God's eye. When he sees you, he sees a miniature version of himself, just like when he sees me, he sees a miniature version of myself. Therefore, we're equal. Help me to learn. Help me to grow. It's enhancement. Yes. It's not about keeping faith. It's about enhancing. So, and, and perhaps we could assert that to be a follower of Jesus means we will answer that call. We will, in authentic sense of being part of a larger humanity, work with, live with, socialize with, interact in various ways with people whose culture, whose life choices are different than ours. We, we would say yes to working in a place where there was someone whose faith life was different, somebody whose culture, whose national history was different, perhaps somebody whose um, sexual expression was different. We would not isolate ourselves. We would instead say, it is the calling of God to recognize ourselves. At the same time, we respect our own identity to listen to respect and and act kindly and gracefully and even further with genuine respect of where somebody else is and appreciation of what we can hear and learn from them so it right yeah it's a good point and, Dr. And, and as and as you got into that point i was going to say but then you you got to the point before i did uh, sexual orientation is something that we don't really want to take a lot of time to talk about because, you know, to some, uh, it, certainly in some faith uh, affiliations, uh, that just seems to be, for lack of a better word, nasty. Yeah, we just don't go there. Uh, yeah, we just don't want to go there. But to, to my previous statement, we have to recognize that all of us in our brokenness, and, and, and when I say brokenness, what I'm saying is everybody, everybody, everybody falls short in some way or other. What, what, what we, but, what, but what we tend to say is, oh, you're the one who's broken. No, everybody's broken, which means that in our in our brokenness, we learn from one another. Mm -hmm. I know myself in ways that no one else knows me. Um, and, and I say, you know what? Somebody help me to grow. 
I learn from everyone. I grow as a result of my relationships. And, and, And I say all that to say, we easily push the LGBTQ plus community to the side when the reality is some of my best learning and understanding has come from my relationships with those who whose sexual orientation does not match my own. Does that make me lesser of a person? No, I think that makes me more of a person because I am building community in a divided world mm-hmm. because of my desire to grow and be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in all of these expressions of differences, there is a blessing for us if we will have respect and listen. I like uh, a sentence or two you offered in one piece of your work that I read. I'm convinced that there's a two-way blessing we think we are going there in, in this context. It was this culture of Samaria to bless them. The real blessing that God has is for us. And that, that is an interesting revelation. It may be that God wishes to reveal himself, you write, more fully to us through those same Samaritans that we wish to avoid. Let our desire be please, let's go there. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, Willie, uh, thank you. As we wrap up this conversation, do you have uh, a, just a, a, a thought or sentence or two that you want to issue as an appeal to us to uh, create community as followers of Jesus in our lives today? Uh, Yes, I I would offer very uh, succinctly, uh, very briefly, that in order to build community in a divided world, I need to keep in mind, we need to keep in mind that the key verse in the creation story of Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, is let us make man in our image. We are all created in the image of God. We have fallen, we're not perfect, but God still sees himself in each one of us. So let's not focus on our differences. Let's focus on our similarities and focus on the reality that male and female, he created us in his image. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Hux. Thank you for joining the conversation today, Willie. Thank you. Thank you very much for this invitation. And uh, folk uh, participating in the conversation, thank you. This is Skip Bell. Until next time, keep thinking, keep believing.